0: Georgie.
1: The blackest eyes, the devil's eyes.
2: Come with me if you want to live.
0: Delighted to be joined on the show today by documentary filmmakers uh, director Christopher Griffiths and writer Gary Smart. Hi guys, how are you doing? Well, well,
1: thank you. Cheers.
0: Um, Thanks very much for joining me today. Obviously, Chris, I've been speaking to yourself kind of on and off for the past couple of months um, after I kind of came to your work a wee bit later. through the the Pennywise documentary, which we will go on to. First off, uh, congratulations obviously to both of you. Just the announcement recently of your latest uh, Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares, the Robert England story uh, coming out in Screenbox and 6th of June. Is that quite a, an exciting thing for us? Obviously, it is. Yeah,
3: <laughs> it's very, very, very exciting for us. It's kind of like you just. I think Pennywise was, was exciting, uh, but this seems to be on another level for us at the moment because obviously, the subject matter itself. And Mm. it's kind of a really big kind of, like, promotion that Screambox are doing for it. So, yeah, really exciting.
2: Yeah. And it's your baby as well, isn't it, Gary? You know, that's what I've got to make sure is said as well in this, because it's always that thing like, ooh, who gets what credit for what? But this, like, we all have those things which are, you know, right, this is Gary's one, this Mm. is my one. We always come together to do it. But I feel I should set the record straight from the start. that Gary's the one who's got the, um, to be frank, biggest boner for... (laughs) <laughs> is this is okay to speak like this on here is it as well yeah yeah, um, yeah
0: Robert, Robert, uh, listen. <laughs> um, so yeah it's obviously it's a, a huge thing as you're saying Chris uh, Scream, uh, uh, Gary sorry Screenbox are doing a big sort of campaign for it they have someone I've got kind of decent contacts with I've got the outwaters through as well um, so I look forward to seeing that when it comes out obviously I think you still try to sort of a kind of uk deal i don't know how these things work i'm all. Yes, totally yes. that. It
3: so normally happens obviously you do you know unfortunately as british filmmakers you know the way the game goes now is obviously that the us is obviously the biggest market mm. for the first kind of initial push so um the uh, yeah so the us would be first but i can't see it being too long after in, return, in regards to the uk just because yeah. again the subject matter and how big the doc is i know it's getting theatrical re- release as well in the States. And I think it's going to get one over here as well. So, nice. Um, I, th- I think in the next few months we'll probably have some news and it probably roll quite fast then. Mm-hmm.
2: This is new territory for us. Well, I say new territory for us, but we've been doing this now for, well, coming up 10 years, 10 years at the end of, the of year. this year. Cool. And only really kind of just, what, post-COVID or sort of during the course of COVID? Because we, we've always sort of... Uh, How do I put this Gary? (laughs) Operated under the radar. But we were very much an independent outfit. And, Mm. you know, in the measure of our success up to this point was releasing our documentaries on physical media, getting them manufactured in China, legitimate Blu-rays, I'll add, Mm. Um, but basically (laughs) them being shipped out from our offices, which was um, Gary and Adam's uh, (laughs) house, and having stacks (laughs) of boxes in their toilets as their warehouse. And then um, work getting to work with the likes of sort of Arrow, uh, Second Sight, Screen Second Factory. Side, screen factory, yeah. And that's kind yeah. of like how we've operated for years, isn't it? You know, like yeah. yes, we're legit. We're working. You know, we're working with these companies doing their bonus features or having our work acquired by them. But really, mm-hmm. this whole thing now, like, ooh, international distribution and this and that. It's like uh, okay. I mean, I'm <laughs> Gary has to sort of deal with yeah. a lot of the. The admin side of the business, he's way more business-minded than I am. But um, it's exciting. But still, at the same time, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I guess that's how it works. Whatever that person says, goes. <laughs> I think, as Chris
3: said, I think, you know, with our own, our other documentaries, we had lots of kind of control over them. You know, there are babies, you know, how we were released, how we were packaged, what the extras were. It was all down to us. We kind of lose control a little bit of that now in terms of, you know, we obviously we can tell them what the bonus feature is going to be. But we can't say when it's going to be released. We can't say really how it's going to be released. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, that's what we've kind of learned really since the days of doing the campaigns back, you know, five, six years ago on Pennywise and RoboDoc, and stuff like that. That, you know, the intentions we set out to do many years ago, obviously, we have a little control over it now. So we, you know, we've learned a lot from Pennywise. So we're hopefully, uh, the, some of the kind of mistakes we made on Pennywise in regards to the campaign and stuff like that, you know, and, and the physical rewards hopefully can resolve on, on this one because one we've learned a lot and two we've got a little more say now because our relationship has grown with screen in particular mm-hmm. uh you know they've announced they're doing Robodoc as well for us as a four-part series so mm-hmm. it's kind of like you know we kind of embed with them now so we've got a little bit of sway we can swing our dicks a little bit now <laughs> <laughs> more than we could two years ago with them so hey. yeah
2: <laughs> i mean it's just ever changing landscape as well that's the other big thing i think for us mm-hmm. You know if you if you think the last well particularly post COVID and it was around for years before but the whole streaming thing you know that mm, definitely yeah. well it was around I guess in what 2013, twenty thirteen fourteen yeah and now you know we've seen how it's sort of how priorities have been rearranged a bit for the market yeah mm-hmm. so, you know, streaming comes first but in a good both in a good way you know and in a bad way that is in that like well the physical media has to happen, you know, Mm. because thank God for this genre, you know, and this whole thing of fans and everything like, no, 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 no. I want my, you know, physical copy up on my shelf. Yeah, But that's probably where there's been just, you know, with the Pennywise release was, well, you know, the one thing I've got to say in terms of documentaries overall is we were way too wide-eyed at the start with all this. Like, (laughs) oh my God, I think we made what, 15, 14,000 or something for our Kickstarter campaign for the Hellraiser documentary Mm -hmm. £14,000 or something. It was like a, I know, second part of production phase, but, you know, you think, yeah, God, God, you can do everything with that. In retrospect now, £14,000, and that's not to us personally, I'll add. (laughs) And this industry is like, oh, mate, that's just pocket change. So we kind of, we were always adventurous with what we think we can do with money, but then the reality kind of sets in, like, Mm.
3: I think, as Chris said, you know, how things kind of developed for us. You know, you look at even Brewster was about 17 grand. And we put some money in ourselves from Leviathan. So it was probably cost about 30 grand, I reckon Brewster did, which was a lot of money to us then. But, you know, you think about Pennywise, we raised 33 grand. It's cost us 150 to, really? to make. Yeah, so when people are shouting kind of, you know, abuse us, we're <laughs> not getting it out or, or you know, we've taken their their 30 Dollars for a Blu ray, we've actually invested, you know, a significant amount of money ourselves in this project to get it out and get it right. Mm. So that's been a massive kind of <laughs> difference for us having to go, shit, we have to spend our own money and we have to kind of find investors outside of campaigns. Mm. So kind of all the kind of like the buzz of the, the dot coming out now, it, it's kind of, it's, I can kind of put it, a part of it is, you know, it's great and it's amazing, but then we still got the business side of it to worry about and we still got the, countless emails off people going where's my blu-ray when you know we're going okay we're just trying to get this thing out and, and finished
1: yeah yeah, so yeah for... kind of,
3: it's a little sting a little bit but we are really proud of it i think you know i was with chris last week and we shot a bonus feature for the mm-hmm. uh, blu-ray like a, a director's introduction or uh, mm-hmm. conversation and it was kind of this fun you kind know, talking about the Again, after after but you know all this time of, of post and being around chris's house like every weekend for like six or seven weeks and just mm. sit there and have a bit of a laugh with it and just chat about it, it was quite nice, <laughs> yeah. as opposed to sitting next to the computer. Yeah, probably,
2: it's probably been the easiest one as well. Yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> ironically, the England one, you know, of, of all the projects, That I mean, we've definitely got our stories and our scars from all <laughs> the projects, but ironically, I think the um, England one's the most. I don't know what it is. It's just been the most streamlined. Mm. I, I, oh, yeah. I think it's it's a developing. I think it's the development of skills. Sounded really yeah. um, up our own ass is that. Really but right, you know, you're know, you only going to get better each time and learn from mistakes. Yeah. But I don't know, we just sort of found this confidence and hit this sort of flow. I think it's the, the closest Gary and I have worked on a project together since the days of Hellraiser.
3: Yeah, yeah, probably. I was just
2: a young buck kind of, you know, he, he, was pre- he pretty much had his hand up my ass. <laughs> <laughs> I carry on saying that quickly, shouldn't I? But as yeah. I was kind of making edits and everything for the bonus <laughs> features on that, you know, I, I was I was just a puppet at that point or just learning. Whereas now we're kind of there's a, a great back and forth we've had. So as Gary said, you know, he's become my second wife in <laughs> recent years. So while my pregnant wife is, is in the living room tending to life situations, Gary and I are up in the man cave. But we've had we to be honest, it's it's a great it's a great thing, but at the same time it's it's bloody knackering. You know, we've put the hours in, it's always in that last run where you're like, right, it's it, we've gotta get this over the line by you know, a week's time. Mm. We we we, had, we certainly had the odd session, which I think the one weekend was like we were up till oh, three God. on the Friday, four I on guess, the yeah. Saturday, and it was bank. It was the Queen's Jubilee, wasn't it? Uh, oh, no, sorry, oh, Pew- Pew- funeral. What's <laughs> <I still laughs> that one? Yeah, you <laughs> know, yeah, you know, something. Yeah, you know a big colours. Yeah, um, but we were yeah, we were up until somewhere in the region of five six o'clock on the Sunday. That's it. Because right. then we had the money off. So it, that part's ruthless, but nonetheless, mm. of all the projects. The politics and everything like that and the scale the england one was like shit that was quite easy yeah. <laughs> by comparison
0: yeah. But, yeah so going just back to the start then 10 years ago as you said it was uh, leviathan the story of hellraiser 3 no, a movie i've noticed s-
3: hmm? now story of hellraiser and how bad hellraiser 2
0: all oh, right, right, it's down yeah, wrong yeah. in the IMDb, then. I've misread oh,
3: yeah. that. Yeah, no, mate, we did a bonus feature we did on, on the third one. It's probably listed as well on there.
0: Right, so it is. Yeah. Aye. Welcome welcome.
3: Okay. that
2: back
0: up again, mate. Yeah, you can read <laughs> it. Do your research better next time. Apologies. <laughs> I can only really go by IMDb. It's either that or Wikipedia. I think IMDb's <laughs> the best one. <laughs> but, um, the first so, two films. Yeah, so it, what was your kind of... Thoughts going into documentary filmmaking for the two of you, really? Like, is it was that something you had always wanted to do? It's, it's, it's like I've used the first uh, guys I've interviewed in terms of documentary filmmakers, it's just been uh, feature directors I've interviewed before, so they, they'll go on about oh, we had this sort of inspiration. Was it certain documentaries you'd seen growing up, or was it um, you wanted to kind of put your own stamp on a style of documentary filmmaking? What was it?
2: I mean, so. I'll go from my end, Gary, and obviously I'll let you say your part. It probably starts with Gary, this, to be honest. But from my end, in terms of like the inspiration side, I mean, I certainly want to be doing some more narrative work. But I think being of that age group, thank God, where we'd watched films on VHS for all those years. And then all of a sudden, oh my God, DVD comes around. And oh my God, all the, you know, that was my first port of call. Mm -hmm. Terminator came out, Robocop, Chainsaw Massacre. It was straight to like these documentaries. Um and I, I don't know, it was just an instant click for me, you know, in terms of it's so cool seeing all these people who I loved, you know, oh, they look old I probably shouldn't say that you know, you see that and just digging deeper, you know, I can chat until the cows come home about all my films God knows I've bored my friends and family about Robocop my whole life nice. so in a way it's kind of cathartic to be like right, well let's, let's justify all this useless knowledge um and put it into, you know, a documentary form but I wouldn't be doing this had I, here we go, kiss our statement, met Gary. <laughs> yeah. And I'll let Gary kind of come from his end, really. It was just a very fortunate chance meeting, really, which kind of re- culminated in the start, really, of Dead mass productions So over to you, Gary.
3: Yeah, I mean, like Chris, I was kind of like, you know, at uh, an age where, you know, DVD was coming out and I used to love the bonus features, I used to love behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. I think I've been a bit kind of effects kind of like, Fan. i always liked watching the bonus features about the special effects about how things were made and the makeup stuff like that so it was always interesting to me i like crime documentaries as well that kind of stuff but i never ever thought i'd be doing it in any way so what kind of happened for me was very very briefly is i uh, myself and a chap called christian sellers wrote a book on the return of living dead uh, about mm-hmm. making that film that only came back because i became friends with Beverly Randolph, one of the actresses, and also Don Kaufer, who became a real close friend of myself, Adam, and Chris's in the end. Mm. Um, and because we got chatting to Don, Don had come over to the UK, uh, we kind of let's make it, you know, let's do a book on, on the making of these films. My favourite film. Uh, we got friendly most of the cast and crew, and he kind of developed there. We had it published in the UK and, and in the states, became quite popular. Uh, a, a nemesis, but now friend called Mikey Perez, uh, who was kind of repping. The um the return of dead cast at conventions and we didn't get on the tour me and Mike, we hated each other uh he um he uh, was doing documentaries on never sleep again nightmare on elm street uh i think he did one my, his name is jason so he was already doing those kind of docs and mm-hmm. they decided to do one called more brains The returns for living dead and i think because it was easy for him just to contact me and christian and say do you want to write it because we, we already written the book uh it was kind of a, a quick a quick kind of like you know, project, and it's quite easy for us to do, really, because obviously we all a narrative in there. But by doing that, I learned how to do kind of like the script structures, really, and how a documentary works, particularly how, uh, I shouldn't really say, but how, you know, you might answer a question on one thing, but then later on in the doc, we need a response from you, and we have to kind of salvage where we can different responses.
1: Mm-hmm. And I
3: thought at the time, oh, that's really naughty doing that. Uh, but, you know, I was told to do it on that doc, but it actually really works because... You know, sometimes, you know, you, you really need someone to say something. You just haven't got them to say it. But they might have said something, Chris is brilliant, fine, and stuff like that, Chris is. So anyway, so um, that was kind of happening, bubbling away. I did this documentary called the More Brains, mm-hmm. it was quite successful, it won the Saturn Award, you know, and it was uh, out in the States. It was licensed from the UK a few times. And then um, I started doing uh, screenings of films in Birmingham, a place called The Cussure Factory. Mm-hmm. And I invited Don over to do a screening of Return of the Living Dead. Uh, and then that went really well. Chris came to that. Uh, Chris was a, a, just a normal punter. He came and I don't know what it is. You know, um, when you meet somebody, you kind of click don't you straight away somebody. And Chris was a bit of, a, was a, bit of a, a cheeky side because Chris had to leave early from the show. And he was going to miss Don's autographs and you know, the signings and the Q&A. So Chris just grabbed me in the foyer and said, you know, uh, obviously you, the organiser, blah, blah, blah. Do you mind? You know, is there any way I can meet Don, you know, um, early before I go? And I obviously I was really friendly with Don, so uh, Chris went backstage, met Don, uh, and got his autograph and a photograph, and we just kind of clicked on Facebook then. But again, it's kind, of, it's kind of that thing when you meet somebody for the first time and you kind of you <laughs> really connect with them. And this is, don't get all big headed, Chris.
2: <laughs> no, the music to kick in. Soundtrack, romantic uh, yeah, yeah, music
3: from is, you know, Bond. It, you do, and you fall, you know. So you fall for him, but something about back, Chris. I really like. I don't know what it was about him. Um, I just really liked him. He was such, you know, back then he was even more kind of like, you know, eager and, and excitable. He's got a more grumpy of his old age, but that, you know, he was like really keen to talk about the films and whatnot. So anyway, after that we did it, we did a, a screen of uh, Hellraiser One and Two, and we invited the cast there. We had Simon Bamford and we had uh, Kenneth Cranham, Jeff Fortas, Nicholas Vince uh, to come and do a screen of that. Went really well, and then I, by luck, got in a chance with Brian Cox, the actor from Succession now. Well, obviously, back then, you know, he was really known for, like, X-Men 2, but also he was the first Hannibal Lecter mm. in Manhunter, and Brian was doing some filming in Birmingham, and I managed to just, you know, reach out to his people, and he agreed to come and do a screening of, of Manhunter and the okay. film Trick or Treat, um, and I knew Chris was a big Manhunter fan because of his Facebook posts, I knew his dad was a big fan as well, because, you know, typical when you, meet, you come friends with one person, and then suddenly his dad's interested in film. His dad added me or I added his dad, you know, and that kind of develops, you know, there's film hmm. fans really, not anything creepy. <laughs> you know, more, you know, trying My to find his, trying to find a picture his mom. Um, But no, his dad's a huge film fan as well. So we got chatting. Uh, and then Chris came and did the, the, the interview for that. It went really well again. And then we just sat there one day and I just said to these people, we were working at the time, why don't you to do a documentary on Hellraiser? Because no one else has done it. It's, you know, it's a British film, one and two. Well, primarily British. It was filmed over here, mainly British cast and crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know the people now. You we know, we've got the key people in, you know, Cenobites and, and the makeup guy who created Pinhead. Let's just do his stuff. And it kind of was a bit silly idea and it kind of evolved and politics got involved and the guys we were working with disappeared. And then I uh, I asked Chris to get involved. Um, Chris was only meant to be involved in a very small bit, really, because the other guys didn't want him. <laughs> they It was a space he was going to come and help, you know, do a bit of kind of like b-roll and stuff like that but then me chris kind of took it over then because chris was enthusiastic and obviously he knew he wanted to get into documentaries and filming uh, and then our friendship developed and then it, we ended up in the states and that's what it was basically long story short and we you know adam obviously was involved as well our, our co-director out of the company mm-hmm. uh, became really close friends and, and that's how it kind of started from hellraiser uh and then it spiraled then to obviously brewster and so on Mm -hmm. that was a really kind of long short story that's great
0: (laughs) so what I find quite interesting Gary obviously in terms of writing for a documentary how does what is the kind of process behind that is it 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 seems quite again I'm just going off being very layman in terms of what I know about documentary filmmaking um you're saying about like scripts and things like that. Is it kind of trying to angle guests into certain discussion points? Or yeah. how, how does the writing work for
3: the, that? The is really weird. I mean, obviously, I've, I've dabbled a little bit in some narrative Chris did with me on, on one one of my projects. But mm-hmm. that's a like, lot different when you do that. When you write a script, obviously, with characters. Writing for a Doc's really difficult because you're not really writing, really. I think the writing comes in the edit, uh, basically, You've got an idea of the structure of a documentary. You want and most documentaries follow the same structure, you know, in terms of, of any any film There's obviously pre production, production, post production, legacy. It's pretty simple, really. And within that, you obviously get director coming on board. You get the writers. You obviously get the uh, the casting, and that's a long process. Obviously, in a dark casting process, you know, how each actor was obviously picked their role. Uh, makeup that kind of stuff so mm-hmm. you kind of have a narrative structure there and then you ask questions based on that narrative structure and obviously through research as well knowing know what people do now the biggest fuck up we made on leviathan was you know and it's probably my fault wasn't chris's chris wasn't involved on, in the writing stage of at that, of that point was i asked every single question to, same question to every single person so we went in and we didn't see people for four hours and we didn't you know have 30 pages of questions
1: mm-hmm. and the
3: problem with that is one most people. Their stories develop over the years because they've heard stories at conventions and it's not really their story. They weren't really there, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but they've obviously they're telling somebody else's story. And yeah. the usual crap is what it was it like working so and so? What was it like with that person? Uh, and we kind of, and then what you do then is you have to go through all that. You have to transcribe the interviews. And back then, obviously, it was actually listening and typing. is isn't like it is now. Chris has found a, a very ingenious way of obviously transcribing now, but back then it was literally sitting there with a pair of headphones and typing and then put the <laughs> time codes in and it took it took months to do what you do then is you then on a script edit you put the headers for each topic you want to discuss you put pre-production casting directors you know that, and then you go through every single transcribe and find where someone's talking about that to so a line from somebody
1: aye, and
3: put into the script
1: mm-hmm. and
3: again you know this is where we've learned a lot because on a script when you're reading it from a Word document, it sounds great. The narrative flows, you know. But when you actually go to edit it, um, the, the, it's a completely different piece because someone's personality might not come across. someone's, someone's you know, previous person might be really fast at talking and energetic. Your person's really slow and low. There's a couple of ums and ahs in there. People don't finish sentences properly. They go into the next sentence too quick. So that's where Chris, I think, particularly has developed his skills, obviously, in editing. So I think that the writing, obviously, is important for the structure. Of course it is. But then the writing comes in the edit, the mm-hmm. actual editing, because you're then writing with your fingers. Sounds stupid. You know, you're going through it and you're finding kind of key moments and pacing and, you know, and moving stuff around. So I think that's where we've all developed. And I know the people we worked with on Leviathan, it was seven hours long because they literally, the editors took it from the script, straight onto the page, mm-hmm. uh, from the page, right onto the screen, and it just didn't flow well. So, me and Chris, when we had to do a new version of Leviathan for the Arrow Cut, we obviously then developed our own kind of style on that then, and it worked a lot better. And he mm-hmm. worked on nice, Friday night. Um, I think it's worked out with Pennywise to a degree. We had a couple of writers on Pennywise and a couple of you know other people involved in that. Um, this one has worked kind of breeze, read I think, because we had a, a, an editor working with us on the on Hollywood Dreams. He gave us a very uh, rough. Uh, Baseline edit did a brilliant job on that. Then Chris then came in. Because uh, what I think Chris is really good at, at that bigging him up, I think he's good at finding humor. And that's mm-hmm. the most important thing in documentaries. He's finding humor, it's finding the person's personality. And I think maybe a little bit on, if I'm being honest, I don't think we find that too much in Pennywise too much. I think because, again, it's the nature of that doc is a little bit different to some mm-hmm. of the other docs we've done. Bruce was really a funny, kind of like energetic comic style. So everyone's always energetic, everyone's like talking. Mm -hmm. When we interview people on Pennywise, and asking about phobia of clowns and childhood fears. It (laughs) kind of yeah, they get very serious in their conversations. It's kind of hard to find it. So I think that that's what Chris is brilliant at. He's finding just little movements on people and little comments they make and little laughs here and there. So that's where the writing comes into it. It's a very strange process.
1: Mm -hmm. Process, but
3: I I really enjoyed working, as Chris said, on Hollywood Dreams, the latter latter stage of it, because we sat in Chris's and we. We kind of wrote it together. He hasn't got a credit actually. He should have done. we wrote it together in the edit room, just sitting there. He kinda have too many credits because he'd be, you know, his name was repeated a million times. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, that's that's kind of getting you're going to get long stuff, me and Chris. But that's, that's kind of it. You know, it's kind of, it's a weird, weird process writing, and it's kind of it, it's a, it's a strange. I'd love to have another name for it for a doc. But I don't know what you could call call us. Hmm. I reckon it's a weird thing for a documentary about directors. I think as well because. Again, the directing comes through the edit as well yeah. uh, to a degree. So it's a very strange kind of like, you know, film is quite easy to, to give people roles in film. Very clear what a director does, What clear what a producer does, very clear what a writer does, an editor. It isn't really as black and white on, on documentaries. And I think sometimes people are involved in our projects, but don't get the credit they deserve.
1: Mm-hmm. And
3: some people do get credit where they didn't deserve because yeah. it's pigeonholed. Um, so that's, yeah, that's kind of it. Yeah, Nobody on this project, of course. Maybe previous projects.
0: Yeah. yeah. And Chris, kind of similar for yourself, as Gary's saying as well, the directing side is obviously very different. It's not, like, set well, again, coming from not knowing, it's not really setting up a scene between two actors that are kind of playing off each other as well. How's the directing style? What are the kind of challenges you face in that with documentaries?
2: Um. Yeah, I'd say... It's going on like what Gary's point is, you know, it is hard to kind of pinpoint what a director is. Mm -hmm. And we've evolved certain projects with, you know, I was directing it. Actually, it's two of us directing it now. And I think in most cases, that's that's absolutely fair. For me, what I kind of perceive the initial thing, certainly as director is, all right, I'm the interviewer. And I think the element of directing that comes in is, okay, I'm going to ask you a question. You're going to give me an answer. Cool. And that's how I started off doing it with uh, Leviathan. I think I was the interviewer for most of them. Mm-hmm. But obviously I was new to all, So I'm just reading off a sheet, the questions Gary wrote. Uh, I think the key thing I learned, my dad actually had met Mark Commode not long before at an event. Mm-hmm. And so I got his autograph. And what his autograph said, it was just before Brian Cox, actually. It was like, you know, he told him what I was doing. I was going to interview Brian Cox. And he said, oh, the key thing of interviewing, is make sure you pay attention. To the interviewee.
1: Mm-hmm. Which
2: that, I know it's obvious, but it is fundamental. And believe you me, I've had a moment in the past or two where I might have just, because I've operated some jobs, I've actually sort of done the camera, the sound, the lights. You know, we're very, very uh, guerrilla in our approach or have mm-hmm. been in the past. And that moment, you kind of like go, your attention goes that way. I'll come back and ask him a question. I go, uh, so, uh, so what was it like working on the film? They're like, I've just answered that. You're like, Oh shit. <laughs> so, absolutely fundamental to uh, pay attention. But I was just literally initially asking questions on the sheet, get the answer on to the next one. Mm-hmm. As times progressed and you've and what I love about this editing, the directing part, everything about it is you, it's the whole learning process, right? I'm not going to do that again. And both, being the interviewer and the editor on these projects, mm-hmm. I want to kick my ass so much sometimes in the edit. I'm like, "Oh, why didn't you get them to say this? Why didn't you get them to say that? So there is like an element of manufacturing I do now. And that's mm-hmm. only a slight bit. But one, it's about the delivery, I think. And most people are really keen. Sometimes you've got, you you catch people who you interview, you know, on the wrong day, they're tired or whatever. And ultimately they're doing us a favor. So you've got to respect that. But, yeah the more you get an idea of what the final edit's going to look like, you're like I need, th- th- this is the the cusp now. This is where it's all entertaining. This person really needs to say this energetically. So I will have to say, like I'll give them context to what I want them to say back to me. I'm like, all right, like this was a big thing. The film was huge and successful. So how did that make you feel? How did this, you know, but project that because mm-hmm. yeah, it's all well and good here in the facts. So I think that's what, you know, I think Leviathan, we, we lucked out a bit with a number of people on that documentary but in other cases i'm like why didn't we push certain people to give us a bit more of a hyped up answer so that's definitely one element i think in the directing of a documentary is the actual interviewing you know was it uh, act you know you act they react kind of thing so that's what i quite enjoy doing there and then i suppose again it's it's the editing uh is a big part because it's the overall feel the pace of the documentary Hmm getting involved in the music. I love doing that lately now. Um, you know, cause like, right. It's good. This is the motion. It's really corny to put it this way, but document these projects at times just make themselves. Mm. You're kind of like riding a wave. You're going like, okay, cool. Right. We're going into River Loll here. Yep. Cool. Right. Musically, this is where it's going to go. And then, right. You need a beat. And that's, and now because I think like that in terms of the edit, I'm taking that back to the interviews. I can yes. sort of get a gauge, a sense now of like, you know, whereas before I didn't, I sounds again corny, I didn't have a vision before. I was mm-hmm. just doing what was on the page, whereas now I'm like, no, 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 this this is, I've got more of an idea of what the end product is. And I think it's important to have that in a way as well. And I'm sure, uh, you know, I know as an example, I know George Romero came from the editing world before he became a director. Cool. And when I hear sort of anecdotes like that, I'm like, okay, yeah, I can see why a lot of editors might get into directing because they see the final product mm-hmm. and they might have an opinion of either their own work or someone else's where it's like, oh, if only you'd just done that. <laughs> so it's all about like coverage, performance, and, you know, even little things like you tell people at the start of an interview, oh, yeah, I need you to put the question in the answer, the context, you know. What was it like working on this film? Don't just say to me it was great or terrible. Working on the film was... Uh, so at yeah. times where someone's giving you some gold dust, and this is where it's important to pay attention, they, you know, I sometimes like to give them an open platform to just, you know, look. I'll start this off. You go renegade, and we've had a few people like that, Lance Henriksen, uh, on this, Eli Roth. That guy, those guys, you just literally almost go. <gasps> two hours <laughs> later, you like question. So, no, you answered question two, three, four, five, six. So, when, you, when you're paying attention, you need to kind of almost know what it's going to be like in the edit or try and gauge it. So, you mm-hmm. might have to backtrack a bit and say, well, Can you say this again? Like that. And that's the kind of element of manufacturing. And if, you, if you've really got a strong idea, like, Oh my God, this will work really well. I think Peter Weller for RoboDoc, um, hopefully, we got, we sort of nailed because the edit of RoboDoc or one edit of it was already done. So right. for Eastwood and I on that project, my co-director there, we were able to say, we know what's there already. Mm-hmm. How do we well it to fill the gaps in a way? And we've got this person saying that about you. What do you have to say to that? And we knew how it was going to work and ultimately it did in the end. So sometimes it's quite fortunate when you have like these belated interviews and you've got all the other materials together, you can go, oh, I know exactly what to do. But it's trying to guess that upfront yeah. now. And I think, you know, Gary said these things find themselves in the edits. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I'm, I, I keep badging on at him uh, about, like, you know, the next one. I really want to kind of like map out roughly how it's going to go. But sometimes you're just at the mercy of.
3: <laughs> yeah, <think>, <laughs> well, Chris, Chris said, really important, I think, what I've picked up, Ben, and it's kind of really true is that it's how you as an interviewer behave in front of the interviewee. If you're sitting there very solemn and very serious, they tend to be very solemn and serious. If you're energetic and you, you break the ice, if you laugh, do a bit of banter, they do kind of react to that. And I think what's, that's what we kind of try to do on this one more than Penny Pennywise, that we kind of like really broke the ice with people and we had a chat to them and we really showed we were interested in them. I know one mm-hmm. of the interviewees, I mentioned mention his name, turned up in a foul mood, not because of us, because... I think he's a tree that fell down, fell, down, fell down in his garden, literally before he arrived. But he still managed to come, you know, despite all that happening. And he was in a right foul mood. <laughs> we just started chatting and laughing about his tree and whatnot, and just kind of broke the ice. And he gave a really good interview, and you could you could tell in the interviews why he was quite energetic in it. And I think we've really learned that we want that person to be moving around in that chair as opposed to just be very stiff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it depends on the doc you're doing, but our docs we want to be fun and interesting. So it's really important as an interviewer. Um, you know, as a director, that you are, you know, you are directing that person in body language more than anything as well, I think.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you've mentioned, obviously, with RoboDoc, you've got Peter Weller, um, Pennywise, you've Tim Curry. In um, the England doc, is Robert England, I'm assuming, sure, you, did you speak to him in it as well?
1: Yeah, yeah. yes,
0: yeah, of course. I, I just, I've yeah. seen the trailer, but... Um, yeah, uh, we, had, we
3: had four interviews with Robert. Um, uh, nice. Like nine hours of interview footage, I think it was. Uh-huh.
0: And yeah. how, how is that? Um, just because obviously you guys being fans of these movies and these actors growing up and getting that kind of face-to-face time with them. Chris, i seen you put a, a thing on Twitter the other day about being able to share a cigarette with Tim Curry out in his garden. Like, that is that quite surreal feeling right. at that point?
2: It's, it's incredible. I mean, like, I think you kind of take for granted after all. I think the thing is when you're in a project, when you do a series of interviews, one after another, you get a bit like, oh, yeah, this is just day-to-day life for us now for four weeks, you know. You sort nice. of start to act the part. But I think when it when it comes to – and that's not at all to put down all the others, but when you see, like, the, the face of a poster, mm. you know, Robert Englund, your Tim Currys, your Peter Wellers, Doug Bradleys and all that, you know. yeah. I mean, to be honest, I, I think the one I always remember the most, or a couple, but was, like, when we went to see Paul Verhoeven for RoboCop. Mm. Now, in this in in this instance, he's prolific. I love his films. You know, he's got the holy trinity of RoboCop, total recall, Starship Troopers. Mm. girls, but <laughs> um, different reasons. But um, we had heard the stories about him in the run up. And he admits himself, but the guy was a tyrant tyrant on the set of Mm Robocop. So we were having this picture built of him, you know, like, oh God, right. You know, I'm I'm anxious as hell now. He's a provocateur and this and that. And I just, I'll never forget that moment of time when we were, uh, we had to travel up to, was it Malibu? Malibu, yeah. Malibu. Malibu, Malibu way. And, you know, we had about an hour and a bit to kill. So we went to like a breakfast house and it was about five, six of us just sat in our breakfast house. Yeah. I think some people were just casually chatting away, but I know probably Gary was the same, but certainly for me, I just felt that like, I need to go outside and have a cigarette. Do you know what I mean? Like the the tension build, the same happened with Tim Curry because we went to his house.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and in all instances, you, I think it's that age old thing, isn't it? They all piss and shit the same as us. So you've got to have that in your mind, I think for the most part. Mm-hmm. And then hope that you can kind of, like gary said chip away a bit because that's the thing going on the directing thing again and for all of us and for the project you know if you if you go in to an interview someone's in a bad mood or someone's putting up a bit of a brick wall it's gonna for my two cents it's gonna show on the Mm. film so it's always it's it's quite fun it's like it's just charming them, and i think it's quite good in a way being Foreigners (laughs) Foreigners <laughs> when we go to these places because we're like oh hello <laughs> oh we're all like Hugh Grant <laughs> oh bollocks <laughs> you know we kind of put on this like act in a way we, I think we all up the Britishness ever so slightly like, <laughs> you're like see we're not like all the other assholes around you <laughs> that's not to say the people around are assholes but <laughs> kind of play that card a bit when we meet them so I, I've definitely I've definitely developed a few lumps in my pants before interviews I think I left my phone didn't I in a Tim Curry, eleven, just before Mm. Tim Curry. Like my mind was so preoccupied. We pulled up outside his house about twenty minutes early, and we're all sat there, like, "Right, got your stuff." Oh, it was all the kids. Uh, uh, uh. And then I just went fuck. And I knew exactly why I'd done it. After I'd left my fucking phone on an ice cold coffee machine, or whatever, (laughs) because I was just so anxious. And then once Mm. you get to it with them, you you just you. It's again sounds so cheesy but you just get into the moment with them and that's <laughs> what i really like you know unless yeah. you have technical hiccups which that can obviously affect an interview yeah you know uh, uh, uh sorry camera's not on or someone's not bothered to put the b cam on historically we've had that before mm. <laughs> won't mention any names but um <laughs> yeah we did i i still feel the hype and it, maybe it's more afterwards i think everything like that when you have a big moment you know when mm. you you've gone to a concert or you've seen something or someone, or, you know, you've been to a festival, whatever. it's only after the fact you're like, Holy shit. I did that. How exciting is at the time, it's almost just like, right, there's a job to do. We've got to get this done. I think the paranoia in a way, you know, and the, the anxieties kind of kick in and the job that's got to be done. It's afterwards. You're like, Holy shit. And that's why, like you said, with that, you know, getting to have a cigarette with Tim Curry in his back garden at the time, I was probably still a bit like, well, I think, well, we got the footage. I mean, let's make sure it gets back to a hard drive first. Yeah, but I knew the job was done. But yeah. I, I, it was only after I was like, holy shit, I just had a cigarette with Tim Curry. So you kind yeah. of dwell it. Yeah, that's why I think a lot of people do these posts, don't they? Like, this was me 10 years ago. <laughs> Next to Sunset. It's like, yes, you've told that fucking story. <laughs>
0: I'm very much guilty of it myself. Yeah. Especially, I think, with someone like him who, obviously because he's health problems and everything, he's not does, he doesn't get seen in the public eye as much as he would have done before like, obviously before I came to Pennywise um, I hadn't seen the, a trailer or anything for it, I think it was just the poster that caught my attention mm. that made me want to see it And so I wasn't I wasn't even sure if Tim Curry would be in it because you can never tell he's been out of the public eye for so long and it's really great to kind of see him in that and uh, hearing kind of his stories from it because I think it it could have been, if, if he hadn't had Tim Curry, there might have felt maybe an element missing from it. But yeah, getting I mean,
3: him when, there. When we did the Doc, uh, he, he wasn't even doing conventions then. I mean, he's doing shows now, but he wasn't okay. doing them then. So, I mean, it's was 2016. I think he had his stroke in 2012. So, you know, it wasn't really that far uh, after his stroke. Um, and it was kind of, um, when, when we kind of discussed doing it, we had obviously the footage from Bart Mixon who had, Who's the makeup guy? who had hours of footage for us. But I think there was a conversation that if we didn't, if we didn't get Tim, would we do the doc? Because we'd been kind of burnt a little bit on the Hellraiser,
1: mm-hmm.
3: because we were promised Clive, and then oh sorry, whoops, we were promised Clive, and then that was Clive, uh, and he was uh, he wasn't very well at the time. So and he kind of, you know, I can probably say now lots of politics and bullshit was going on behind the scenes with his people, mm-hmm. uh, who now left his organization. So we didn't get him in the end. And that was a real sour taste for us, really, because we got a bit of criticism. And it's like we've tried everything possible to get him, you know. We, sometimes you you do everything possible and you still can't get these people. So I think when there was a conversation about Tim, maybe not doing it without him. But then we but then we got him. But even one of the first people to sign up, Tim was. And he signed up because it was about Pennywise and not Rocky Horror. That was basically it. You know, never been, no one ever spoke to him about Pennywise. It was all Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. and i think yeah, that's why he was interested in doing it he was something different um yeah so you know and we've done other docs obviously we we've not had key players i mean we didn't have weller for five years uh yeah. until the very end um but you know i think it would have still worked without him because i think people would have known at the time maybe of obviously his condition
1: mm-hmm.
3: and what probably wouldn't have helped us long term was because he started doing conventions in the uk as well he was doing you know, for the love of horror, he was doing lots in the states. Yeah, so it, that's when it gets. You know, it would have been maybe, maybe, maybe a bit more difficult
0: for us then. Mm-hmm. Um, and have you uh, obviously Stephen King is notorious for his opinions on his own mo- people that have adapted his movies of his books. Sorry, do you do you know has he seen Stephen,
3: the doc? Stephen King's got an opinion on every single horror film that comes out now. <laughs> he does, yeah. yeah. Fucking <laughs> like, every, any film comes out, it's the most it's the scariest film I've made. This guy said that Pet Cemetery Remake was, was the scariest film I've ever watched. Yeah. How much did he pay for that? I've had half a glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, we, we tried him. I think John uh, Campo Piano, who had done Pet Cemetery Doc, uh, reached out to, uh, to his people to ask him did he want to be involved. Again, he's notoriously doesn't get involved in these kind of projects. So mm. He makes one of his films where so he's got a cameo. Um, and he paid a fortune. So he kind of said no straight away to us. And again, what we said from day one was even though obviously (laughs) the the book is really important, because obviously you wouldn't have the the TV series without the book, we we all said from day one, this was Tommy Lee Wallace's story. And he was director. He wrote the script, obviously, with Larry Cohen. Uh, It was kind of his vision, obviously, with Bart. So I think having Tommy on board kind of really kind of like, you know, got rid of the sour taste regards to Stephen. And I think the problem with having Stephen King in it would have been, it would have been the very beginning only. That first kind of chapter of a doc would have been that only. And yeah. then it goes straight into it. So it would have been much of, you know, a very short bit. I don't know if he's watched it or not. I think John maybe said that he'd spoken to his people. and that he was going to watch it. We've never had any feedback, you know.
2: Uh, yeah. Uh, shrink, shrink wrapped on his shelf. funny yeah, I mean, uh... <laughs> <laughs> copies we give out to people. And think, yeah. oh, you still I mean, watched it we, Fine. We don't do it.
3: But, you know, it sounds really kind of corny now. We're we're fans of film, you know. We're we, mm use the word aficionado, but we are, you know, we love film, we love dissecting film, we love, you know, doing these projects. So these projects for us are for the fans, you know, and I know yeah. we piss people off all the time when, when we missed deadlines, but we genuinely do it for the people like us who love film, mm-hmm. you know, and we do, people want to be, be part of it, you know, This Pennywise in particular, I think, you know, is a, is a love letter to Tim and it's a love mm-hmm. letter to Barton, to Tommy Lee as well. And obviously this documentary on Robert, obviously he's dedicated completely to him because obviously he's a subject matter
1: mm-hmm. and
3: he's still alive to kind of get it. You know, most of these documentaries on actors are made years after they pass away. Mm. Why do that? Why not do it when they're alive? Why not, why, not, why not celebrate their career and their legacy? Why are they still here? Because I know it's going to happen with this doc. You know, when it comes out, there'll be an announcement in six months time Robert's doing something else and he's in another show. And obviously there's another chapter of his life then, you know, which we haven't covered. Yeah but he's he's still a prolific actor you know with stranger things and cameos stuff like that so um we can get a
2: fifth interview then Gary don't we'll worry do, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll do a <laughs> he already things. picked up the pieces in stitches yeah so yeah, the-
3: yeah so you know so you know i don't know if he's what you know if people people watch it. we know when we do the docs obviously that we know that bart Minson loved it we know that we know robert loved the Sitches version of uh hollywood dreams uh we know obviously that like the cast and crew you know love what we do so we always get really nice feedback off people. We've never had anybody go, yeah. what the fuck have you just done? You know, why did you portray me in this way? Because we're not there to make shit, sense. It. Yeah, we're not there. To, we're not here to do that. We're here to celebrate the film. Yeah. We're not here to badmode the film film's well. So like, example of Pennywise, <clears> we all know the spider shit. We all know that, you know, we all know that it was, it wasn't done, you know, as it should have been executed. But we now know that it wasn't Bart's fault. Yeah. It wasn't Tommy Lee Wallace's fault there was lots of other reasons why that spider looked shit Because when you look at the behind-the-scenes footage, it looks amazing, the spider does.
1: Mm-hmm. You
3: know, and again, they didn't realise how important Tim was going to be to the film, or the series, sorry, until after it came out. So hopefully we kind of let people watch it and go, you know, maybe have a little bit more love for that spider at the end now, knowing what it could have been. We, yeah. Well, it's
2: one of the things we did. I always remember that, you know, we had, there was a discussion, I think, that was had, wasn't it, at the time, with Bart's interview, you know, oh, We'll talk about the spider and maybe for some people it's like oh well, you know you shouldn't veg down there it's almost like oh, yeah. it's a bit taboo but the main thing for me is I don't want to make a puff piece you know you've got to sort of show the um, ins and outs of it being like a slog to get to where they got to and you know I'm hoping come the time we've got it out there is like Robocop 3 <laughs> you say Robocop 3 to any film fan and you're instantly going to get a reaction off them mm. but I think it's still cool to cover them, but let's not sugarcoat shit. You know, let's let's be honest. But at the end of the day, it's people doing a job. Then I don't think people deliberately go out to sabotage things.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, they, yeah. they, hey, look, we tried it; it failed. Whatever, you know. But let's find out why, you know, and what people's views are. And so I think we got with the spider thing, you know, for Pennywise. We I think we had one bit of feedback off someone saying it was too long that section. Mm-hmm. It was like, well. Watching it again, to be honest, I think, actually, you know, you've got to dedicate the time. And, in fact, what um, I was taught by someone was what's called the shit sandwich <laughs> on any topic where, say something, you know, you have a nice little cluster of positives, let's go into the dirt, and, oh, it's fucking horrible, Or oh, that person's an <laughs> asshole. But then let's come back around and go, oh, but at the end of the day, it was that, you know, as long as you do it in a respectful manner, it's always worth just covering the water and all in that respect. I, I don't think there's any
0: stones we've really left unturned in that respect, is there? Yeah. And I think um, with everyone knows about the spider from yeah. the end of the the TV, uh, the TV movie. So it's important to give it its time and give it its kind of its due or its criticism, as you're saying. It's, it's yeah. something that's important. All um, that BTS footage we got as well. You mm. know, well, it's, like, oh, it's got to go somewhere.
2: And, you know, yeah. and if anything, yeah, thank God, you know, that's one of the, my favorite parts when we do these as well, is the whole digging out of the dirt. Like, oh, my God, you know, we've got these never-before-seen, we actually paid to have them digitized dailies from Robocop. Nice. You know? And so that's always one of the struggles, because as you can imagine, there's a lot of editing. Otherwise, people look like Thunderbirds because they've <laughs> been chopped up so much in the dialogue edit Aye. that you need coverage. And so, when you've got a wealth of material like we did for Pennywise, you know, all that behind the scenes, uh, the fair, the um, spider footage, well, let's utilize it. Because I think that's what, you know, certainly what I look for mm. in Dots. What are you going to show me that I've never seen before? And yeah. I think it's always quite, uh, <laughs> apart from that, Gary. Um, yeah, no, um, that's, that's what I do enjoy. There you go, full glass of wine. But that's why I always enjoy <laughs> Like, holy shit, you found this and that, you know. Um, And when these studios announced, like, I don't know, Screen Factory, it was only a VHS print, but of Exorcist 3. You know, Mm. that's what gets the fans going, really, is when, holy shit, you found that thing, you know.
0: Yeah, I think um, my favourite kind of scene involving the Spider bit is when they're talking about... uh, I can't remember, was it, this, it wasn't a stuntman that went inside the spider, was oh, it?
1: Brent,
3: Brent Baker, he, he got bruised. Aye, they
0: just, they just chucked him off the side or something yeah. and he just, oh, we forgot about the metal bars that were inside yeah. it. It's, like, it's quite an oversight there. <laughs> you wouldn't bother if that went wrong. That was quite interesting again, but it was, it was uh, he seemed to love uh, being a part of that, part of the spider, as you're saying, the shit sandwich, which he speak about his involvement in, the kind of making of that part of the movie the, the movie and yeah it was really cool um
3: the really sad thing about that is uh, obviously you know Brent hadn't been interviewed about that before mm-hmm. and we had that footage of Brent obviously inside it as well and unfortunately Brent passed away uh, not long after we did the doc so he obviously but now his stories out there do you mean and yeah. fans know who Brent is you know and he died quite young really but he wasn't very really well but it's kind of like i think that's what we like doing as well you know we've got gene warren jr in it as well he passed away mm-hmm. most of our people passed away <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Before> it's actually- <laughs>
3: <laughs> but, it's, but it's their stories being told isn't it Ben, it's like where they'd never had a chance to talk about that Aye. now they're on something they're on a documentary which is obviously now obviously with, with uh with pennywise obviously it's successful and it's been seen across the world and mm-hmm. a story's been
0: shared now finally yeah um a couple of last few bits before I, I let you go. Obviously, you've got the England one coming out. Um, is Gary, uh, Chris, you were saying for Gary, this was his, he was the kind of driving force for this. Gary, how, what was it like getting to kind of see, well, it sounds a bit of a, a cliched line, but kind of see behind the mask, almost, the Robert England?
3: It's really weird because it's kind of like, as Chris said earlier on, about meeting kind of like your, your idols and I've always been a fan of like villains I just always have been you know any film he's got a good villain it's a great film for me so you know, meeting Ronnie Cox obviously Dick Jones meeting Tim Curry meeting uh, Don Caff wasn't a villain but obviously he was a big kind of like um, actor I, I loved as a kid Ken Cranham and then the one I really wanted to meet then obviously was Robert and never had a chance to meet him mm-hmm. uh, you know I've been to a few conventions when he was there I just didn't fuck up the courage to speak to him uh so then, when we finally got him on board on this, and you know, and he's, he, Robert's notoriously, notoriously hard to get a hold of, you know, in terms of obviously getting to him. Right. Uh, and there's two ways you either go through his agent or you go through his wife Nancy. Okay. And his wife Nancy, he's kind of like he's kind of bodyguard really. Nancy is she's like the gatekeeper of, of Robert. So I sent a real long email to Nancy. I have got her details, and it was like you know, a gushing email, but kind of from the heart as well. You know, I'm you know I'm a kid from a council estate who loves Freddy Krueger, and, you know, love Robert's work, and you know, I want to celebrate his career, and, you know, this is a big thing for me to do, and then I got a response saying, Robert, we'll call you on Sunday at 7pm, and I'm thinking, shit, you know? <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, he's not going to call, he's not going to call, and then 7 o'clock comes Sunday evening, ring, 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 and it's an unknown number, and okay. then I answer it, and obviously it's Robert, and he's just, like, straight away, just, like, friendly, and it's really weird, it was like, no bullshit. He's like, now what? What do you want to do? I said, well, what do you mean? He went, what do you want to make? And I said, well, I want a celebration of career, blah blah. blah. And he went, good, because because everybody talks about Freddie. Because mm. I, I understand that. I understand that Freddie sells, but I want you to talk about the other stuff I've done. You know, mm. because I, you know I started off in comedy and drama, and then obviously I got into Freddie. And then, I, but you know, it's really important. Freddie's really important. We we'll would discuss Freddie, but please look at my other films. And he gave me a list of films over the phone to look at. And then uh, I ended up meeting him then, going for a meal with him in London about a month later. Uh and he's just really surreal because and Chris will say the same, I'm sure, when Chris met him for the first time, there was no airs and graces, there was no bullshit. But he's just a film fan. This is a guy who just loves film, mm. who's eccentric, doesn't give a shit what he says, <laughs> uh will grab our hood of you by you, you know, and, and start whispering in your ear and like, you know, nudging you. It's like fucking you know, I like you like your granddad or something he is. And it reminds me of our friend Don. Um, Don was exactly the same. Don was aficionado and, you know, he loved film. And
1: mm. uh,
3: Robert's exactly the same. So it's really surreal for me. And I think when Chris talking around about meeting people, I don't think I've even still to this day acknowledged that's Freddy Krueger in a really weird way. Mm. Even though when I was a kid, I had Freddy Krueger on my bedroom door as a poster, and I had, like, the masks and the costumes, and now I've got all this shit of Freddy. And you no, know, I got Robert pictures of Robert around the house now. Obviously, pictures of me with Chris and Robert and Adam with Robert, and obviously on the wall and stuff like that. I still don't think I acknowledge that that's Freddy Krueger. Mm. I've kind of disconnected it in a really weird way. I can't, and and I think that's really a good thing, really, because I think if I remember going to see Ken the first time at a convention in about probably about ninety eight, eight two thousand, and I was shitting myself, Ken Cranham, and I, I was there shaking with his fucking picture. And now he'll text you and just have, you know, and he'll, you know, we'll meet up with a coffee in London for him. He's done some projects with us mm. and he's just, you know, an old man who likes to talk, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, and that's just a weird thing. As Chris said, Chris recently, they all shit and piss, you know, at the end of the day.
1: Mm. And so
3: we've met some actors who are assholes, you know, who won't mention names who maybe, you know, know that we need them more than need us. We've met some actors who are just really appreciative, of us doing these things and actually become friends with us because they they love the fact that we're taking time to do it and they love the fact that we're fans. And I think when we're in sitches with Robert, he was just sitting there talking about film. You know, mm-hmm. I've got a very specific film taste that I have. Uh, Chris has got a little bit more more uh, a classier films taste than me. He'll watch some foreign films, stuff like that. Cause, you know, mine was very much like horror, horror, horror. Whereas Chris obviously has branched out, so when Robert's talking about film, Chris could engage in that. It's just two film fans chatting, and it's mm. so strange. He's, it's Freddy Krueger.
2: He's such a geek. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah. <laughs> a film geek. He, yeah. He's also just—he's he just.
3: How can I put it? That sound like a—he's just a normal person who likes ribbing people and likes having a laugh. When <laughs> he'll point at somebody and go, "Look what they're wearing," you know, okay. nothing about. There's nothing about him which is bullshit. No, and, but Nancy's the one going, Shut the fuck up, Robert, you know, because <laughs> she's his bodyguard base. She's the one who protects him because we, he'll spend all day
2: talking to people. Well, we went, we went out when we, I went out with my wife and we went out with like a double date with him and Nancy the one day. Yeah, I wasn't involved. Yeah, to God. But no, but I, it was like what you're saying about him. It, my wife and I are looking at him and his wife going, Fuck, that's us in the future. <laughs> you know, but she's like she drags him yeah. down, and his mouth will run, right, you know. And he's yeah. got that kind of real crass, you know, not not obscene, but crass humor. Mm. Oh, it's like a big dick and all this, and that, you know, and get excited <laughs> when saying it. And she's like, "Robert, calm down." And I'm just looking at my wife, going, "It's not going to get any better." Any better? I think that, like I said, it's surreal. I think I've watched. I've at least watched the first Night on Elm Street since you've done this, because it can get a bit like, oh, God, I never want to watch these yeah. films again because you're obviously looking for the edits. Mm. Back clip, that clip. So you watch them inside out, back to front, you name it. But I've definitely, you know, we're not trying to be, uh, what's the word, you know, uh, cocky and egotistical when we say, oh, you know, we're just numb to it or whatever. I think in a way it's a good thing, as Gary said, because you can be professional, you can conduct yourself around them, But I think at the same time, I want to try my best to grab back that feeling of like, yeah, oh, you know, so whenever we're watching i mean a lot of the people we've met are on bloody murder she wrote <laughs> as guests
1: <laughs> <on>. <laughs> oh, look,
2: Johnny oh look it's kirkwood smith on Nancy allen or something like that you know all these people and my mum bloody loves uh, uh murder she wrote so you know if anything like that's on or tales from the unexpected you know it'll be like this to Rachel, it's my mate it's my mate <laughs> <laughs> all right shut the fuck up um mm-hmm. so it is a yeah it's always quite nice to try and Grasp that, you know, no. so you can realize the magnitude of what you've been through. But
3: yeah. I think it. Hit, I think it, it will hit us. I think particularly this one because Screenbox is doing such a massive thing with his stock. Mm. And already, you know, the last week it's been amazing. We got the press the last few days with the trailer, and I know obviously I can't go into too much details, but I know the release they're doing for it is going to be pretty huge, really, in terms of the physical releases and the merchandise stuff like that. So it's kind of like you know. I think that's when it probably hits when it all calms down and you know and everything's done. It'll be like shit. We've done this, you know. We you know mm. we've achieved this, and I think the other docs are amazing and we're really proud of them. But I think because of circumstances, a lot of it, you know, it's very difficult for us to to you know ask in the glory really of those docs because of the politics and the business side behind it. Yeah, uh, I, I hope one day we can just sit back and it's a legacy for ourselves, you know, and just go, you know two, well, including Adam as well, three film fans who all from kind of like, you know, working class backgrounds have managed to to achieve something, you know, what our friends maybe in school wouldn't have achieved. And I think that's what I'm most proud of, uh, you know, that we've you know, we gone and done this, We know. And we did it because we, we, we had the drive to do it. I think, I was going to say at the very beginning, I'm, I'm the kind of person, I know Chris is as well, if someone says no to us, we'll, we'll go out and fucking do it. And that was particularly with Robocop. Somebody again, we mentioned their names, told us somebody who had been involved in celebrating the franchise at one stage um, in a book format had uh, told us um <laughs> not to not to pursue it. You know, this is not a project you should don't pursue. bother. No, no one's going to be involved in it. You're not going to be able to get anybody. Don't bother. And I remember me and Chris had a conversation after going, "What, going, what do you think?" And we both said, virtually at the same time, "Fucking, we're going to do it." <laughs> And that night, we emailed Ed Neumeyer, and then that was it, you know, and it kind of rolled from there. And I think that's what you got to do. You've got to drive just do these things, and despite all the bullshit and all the stress and the money it's cost us, mm. personally, and I think me and Chris have Rage you know, our friendship has been on the line. Not, not, not a lot. I mean, a couple of times. In 10 years, it's not been too bad, but it has been because we're so dedicated investing in doing the right thing. Mm. I mean, we've become so close. You can... Batter each other because you're close, can't you, really?
2: Fuck off, Gary. Yeah, what you, do you say to me? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm telling your parents to fuck off in a different room on the server <laughs> You got pussy yeah. was what did you say? Boom, boom. And I was like, oh shit, Mum's coming to the room. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, think, I think, but when you work closely with people, you you can have that kind of side to it because we're all. I've had, you know, again, I'm, I'm not going to go on because obviously, you know, time's precious. But we've had conversations every night, you know, until you know, text messaging and phone calls about these projects, and the stresses and turbulation, you know. And I think one day we'll do a documentary about our journey on these projects, you know. Mm. There's definitely a memoir there yep. about, you know, about how we've, we've got to this stage and what we've had to go through, really. And I think mm. the fact that we're still here today is <laughs> uh, there's been a lot of uh, casualties on the way. <laughs> you, you look at our inter- Movie Database uh, credits of Crew over the last few projects. There's been a lot of, but it's always been there's always been me, Adam, and Chris. You know, at the end of it, it's so strange. You know mm-hmm. that we've never uh, split up. But yeah.
0: Cool. <laughs> well, uh, guys, thanks very much for joining me tonight. Um It's been a long time coming. I said I've been messaging Chris for a, a wee bit, and I appreciate the time taken to answer me back and everything. Um, obviously, England coming out on the sixth uh, of June. What do you have? Can you say what you've got coming up? Obviously, I'm still working on RoboDoc, but have you got anything else in the pipeline? Uh, yeah, we've got RoboDoc coming out. Obviously,
3: and that's going to be a, another massive kind of thing. It's a, it's a, it's a four-part series. Uh, probably can say but we're going to. You know, there's going to be a season two and three on that as well. Uh, on the second film and the third film, mm-hmm. um, we've got lots of ideas. Actually, when we said when we get all this done, me, Chris, uh, Adam, Hank, and uh, Lawrence, who are our sales producers are going to meet in london to have kind of like a, a brainstorm of a project we are looking at a I don't into do too much detail but a another series of, you know about actors but there's a series and maybe a th- another documentary about one particular director nice. uh, so we've got a few ideas it's just again it's getting these puzzle pieces together uh i think it's definitely uh one of them is difficult again but we'll try our hardest to do the other one i think We've got enough contacts now to do it, and I think we get yep. funding for it. We're never going to do it. You'll never see us on Kickstarter or Indiegogo <laughs> ever again. You'll never see, <laughs> you'll, you'll see Griffiths production, you know, on Kickstarter or Indiegogo. Oh, like. that's it. <laughs> creative. No, I, didn't, I didn't mean that. I meant as in, like, you might suddenly want uh, um, But yeah, we never. We you know we've got to stage in our in our kind of like career path now that we're we're having conversations with distributors about funding us from you know from. The start really which we mm-hmm. wanted always really so Chris can can pursue that Avenue obviously for us as a company so yeah that's that's got what we've got coming up um but again I think the release of, of, of icons going to be icons not called icon anymore. it's called Hollywood dreams is going to be so exciting when you start seeing what they're going to deliver in terms of the physical release and yeah mm. the and obviously merchandise as well the, the, you know they're going full tilt on, on this for us on Hollywood dreams and, yeah and it's for Robert as well. So yeah, there's, there's, it's not the last you're going to hear from us, hopefully. Uh, and you know we're going to start pre-production soon on something else.
0: Cool. Excellent. Um, I'll just be getting on the email screen box after this, then just bugging them for a screener as well. Yeah, they,
3: they, too, they are really good at that. Uh, yeah, they are yeah, yeah. really good. Yeah, to say you've spoken to us, mm-hmm. they are really good at getting the screens out. You know, we were. I kind of I was surprised how good they are You're getting it out. They want people to see it, you know, and, and review it, so it's brilliant.
0: Pretty- yeah, yeah. Yeah, they've been good to me. I've, uh, any time I've got in touch with them, I think the last thing they sent me was Cube, the Japanese remake, was that Screenbox? I think it might have been. Yeah, it was, place yeah. Place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so...
2: That's what I need to see from them. I feel like I've got to do this as well, because I haven't <laughs> bloody seen the Outwaters yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think I've, I've heard a
3: rumor it might be going to Europe as well, Screenbox, which is about time, <laughs> you know, because... Yeah. You know, you've got Shudder, obviously.
2: Without sounding like a public kiss ass, they've been amazing. Scream. Yeah, I yeah. don't get involved in that side of the business. Uh, mm. per se. I'm the artist, but um, <laughs> sorry, guy. But um, from what I gather and from just w- watching what they do, I'm really impressed. You know, with lack little experience, but knowing how studios and as what historically have treated the genre, mm. I know they are specific to genre. But like the stuff that we're working with them on is like, it does really excite me in terms of what they've delivered so far, where they want to go with it and how they nurture it. Do you know what I mean? So it's not just a facade or whatever, you know, and, not, not, no. and I think anything, it's,
3: I think what we did as well, you yeah, know, one last thing is that, you know, we had lots of offers for, for, for Hollywood dreams and mm. we had a, a quite a big offer of another streamer and we, we turn it down. And it was significantly more actually than, Screenbox, but we chose Screenbox because of their dedication to promote Robert's work and obviously our work as well. Yeah, and for us, it was more about how they were going to handle the project, and we were concerned, obviously, with the other company. It's going to be thrown onto a streaming site, and that will be it. Whereas mm-hmm. these guys really want to promote it. They want they want Robert in their camp. They want obviously doing the podcast. They're doing the interviews with him. uh You know, they're doing obviously you know, some screenings and obviously the whole package we're, we're doing. And so you know, we've done. You know, we we are so impressed with them. That's why we, we decided to go with them as opposed to another interested party who is offering a substantial amount more. Really, so it's not about you know going on about it's not about the cash for us all the time. it's about it's yeah. about getting our work out there the best possible way. Yes, yeah.
2: many
0: involved in these?
2: <laughs> oh, all this bloody time I've had my pants down. <laughs> Fucking
0: hell! <laughs> <There you go. laughs> and on that note, uh, Chris Gary, thanks very much for your time. Um, you. And uh, Hollywood dreams and nightmares: The Robert England story is out 6th of June on Screenbox. Mm-hmm.